Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520, blanketing 17 states and much of Canada. And this station has received letters as far away as Scandinavia and New Zealand. And we have an international leader with us today, a man I have tremendous respect for because I worked with him on development programs throughout the United States when he was president of Franklin Pierce University in Ringe, New Hampshire. Let me tell you a little bit about this man's career, and you'll never find a more honest, dedicated, conscientious public servant than Andy Card. It's Andrew Hill, Andy Card, Jr. He was the fifth president of Franklin Pierce University, dean of the Bush School of Government and Public Service, the 21st White House Chief of Staff, one of the longest-serving Chiefs of Staff in the history of the United States, 11th United States Secretary of Transportation, and White House Deputy Chief of Staff. So a tremendous career. Let's talk first about this tragedy that you had to deal with, and it's one of the most iconic photos of the uh, century, and that was when you had to whisper in President Bush's ear about the attack on our soil with the World Trade Center with 9-11. Tell us about that horrific experience, Secretary Andy Card. Well, first of all, Brian, thank you very much for having me on your show, and to all of your listeners, thank you for tuning into this program. Yes, I was very blessed to be able to serve as chief of staff to the President of the United States, George W. Bush, and I was the one at that school in Sarasota, Florida, in September of 2001, September 11th, 2001, 9-11, when we learned about the attack on America, and I was the one who informed the president as he was sitting in a classroom in Sarasota, Florida. The school was the Emma E. Booker Elementary School. The president was sitting before second graders, and he was about to read a book with the second graders when I was informed that a second plane had hit the World Trade Center towers. Before the president went into the classroom, he had been told that it appears a small twin-engine prop plane crashed into one of the towers at the World Trade Center in New York City. After the president went in, mm-hmm. I was informed that the plane was not a small twin-engine prop plane, but a commercial jetliner, and then I was informed that there was a second plane that had hit the other tower at the World Trade Center. So I stood at the door to the classroom before I entered, uh, performing a test that chief of staff all have to perform all the time. Does the president need to know? The answer was yes. I made a conscious decision to pass on two facts, make one editorial comment. I did reflect on the reality that Osama bin Laden was probably behind this and that the Al-Qaeda network was probably part of the team that had done it. And I realized that this was a very big deal. And I knew that I was delivering a message that was a very rare message to have to deliver to a president and that it was also a venue that was not where a message would usually be delivered to a president, a classroom, a second Mm -hmm. grade classroom in an elementary school. When I walked into the classroom and I did think about what I would say to the president, 
uh, the president was conducting a dialogue or, or was part of a dialogue that the teacher of the class was conducting. You know, she was asking the students to say, good morning, Mr. President. The president would respond back. So this dialogue was taking place. I didn't want to interrupt it. And when the dialogue finished and the students were told to take out their books, that's when I walked up to the president. He did not see me coming because I entered the classroom behind him. Mm -hmm. I leaned over and I whispered into his right ear, a second plane hit the second tower. America is under attack. And that was all I said to him. I stepped back so that he couldn't ask me a question. I didn't want to have a dialogue recorded by the media that was covering that event. And when I delivered those words to the president and I stepped back so that he couldn't ask me a question to start a dialogue, I was struck by how he was a very contemplative, looking straight ahead, kind of head was shaking up and down. I stepped back to the door of the classroom, again looked at him. He was still contemplative, did nothing to introduce fear to those very young students. He did nothing to demonstrate fear to the media that would have translated it to the satisfaction of the terrorists all around the world. And I was impressed that he was focusing on his burden that came right from the Constitution, that he would preserve, protect, and defend the United States and the people that were here. That was his job. I walked into the holding room after I had informed the president, and I said, get the FBI director on the phone, get a line open to the vice president, get a line open to the White House situation room. I ordered the crew to get back on Air Force One to get ready to depart. I told the Secret Service to prepare to leave, mm -hmm. that we were going to have to leave the event. And I told the communications team to write some remarks for the president to address an audience of about 600 people in another room. And I didn't want them to put anything in those remarks that didn't represent that which we knew to be true. And so, make a long story short, I delivered the message. I was a witness to how the president responded. When he did come into the classroom, literally the first thing that he asked for was to get the FBI director on the phone, and we were able to say, he's right here, Mr. President. And I witnessed a president living up to his constitutional responsibilities that day, and he did it phenomenally well for a long time thereafter. And I was mightily impressed with the cool, calm, objective demeanor that the president had and how he was fully attentive to the awesome responsibility that he had and with great cognizance that there would be consequences that he would not to invite on anybody, and that's the burden that a president carries. I'd like to also thank Kathleen Card, the Reverend Kathleen Card, who is a guest at ESPN Radio today, and uh, she's a very thoughtful, bright woman who also helped with development at Franklin Pierce University, a uh, wonderful person. Let's talk about George W. Bush, the man, we know him as a public figure. We see, have seen him on TV for decades as governor of Texas, president of the United States, post-presidency. But you were a friend of his. You were a confidant. You were with him for five and a half years, uh, several hours a day. You saw the side of him we never see. What was George W. Bush, the man, like? George W. Bush is one of the most disciplined individuals I've ever met. I will admit, when I first met him, the discipline was coming from his mother. But he found self-discipline early on in his life, and that self-discipline uh, continues to this day to be very impressive because he is disciplined about diet, He's disciplined about exercise. He's disciplined about doing his homework. He's disciplined about making decisions in time for them to be implemented to live up to a credible expectation. He's also disciplined about his faith. And it's that last discipline that I think served him best when he was chief of staff to 
when, when he was president of the United States and I was chief of staff to him. You know, when he came to the Oval Office every single morning, and it's an awesome thing to witness a president coming to work in the Oval Office, and I would greet him with great optimism because I didn't want him to arrive as a pessimist. He had to arrive as an optimist. You don't want a pessimistic president. And he came into the Oval Office, and I would say, top of the morning, Mr. President, and no matter how bad the day was, I'd say, top of the morning, it's a great mm-hmm. day. And every single day, good, bad, or indifferent, he sat down at his desk, and the first thing he did was open the draw to his right and take out a devotional. And he did serious devotional reading, and he read the Word, and he... I'm sure he contemplated it and probably prayed. And then he would pick up that secret document that everybody in Washington begs to see called the President's Daily Brief, the PDB. Mm -hmm. And I think that discipline, uh, demonstrated by the discipline of his faith and his diet and his exercise and his ability to uh, compartmentalize and make tough decisions and make them in time, served him best. And it was a it was a privilege to be able to witness that. You know, I, the president and I were friends before he became president. When I was his chief of staff, I told him I could not be his friend. He was my friend, and I didn't want to let him down. And after I was chief of staff, I wanted to be his friend again. Thankfully, I'm his friend again. But when I was chief of staff, my job was to be in charge of the staff, and it wasn't to be his best friend. My job was to be a staffer to the president and serve him well, and he couldn't feel guilty about talking to me as if I was a staffer rather than a friend. Uh, Thankfully, he was grateful for my service, and he has befriended me since I left. Very good. We're learning a great deal. Our guest today is the former chief of staff to President George W. Bush. If you're listening in Cheektowaga, New York, Montreal, or northern Florida to our 50,000 watts of clear channel power, please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. We always greet cards and letters from our Canadian and European listeners. I'd like to thank those who have called regarding our recent guests, a personal friend of Kathleen and Andy Card, Ambassador Earl Mack, who is U.S. Ambassador to Finland, State Senator John DeFrancisco, and Marsha Martino involved with NAMI with mental health in Florida. Coming up, we'll have the man who's behind the National Buy America campaign in Philadelphia, Michael Blihash, the district governor in southern Ontario and western New York for Rotary, Reg Madison, and State Senator Dale Volker, all on the Rusk Report. A little bit more information about Andy Card. He was born in 47. He's an American politician, you could say, who was White House Chief of Staff under President George W. Bush from 2001 to 2006, as well as head of Bush's White House Iraq Group. Andy Card served as U.S. Secretary of Transportation under President George H.W. Bush from 92 to 93. And we have one uh, plug here. Western New Yorkers love their traditions, and the Ampo Legal has been writing about Polish-American traditions and events for over 50 years. News and features from a Polish-American perspective can be found in this weekly paper, as well as recipes and a calendar of events. Don't miss out on the next 
cultural presentation or polka dance by reading the Ampol Legal. The Ampol Legal is available in many Tops and Wegman stores for home delivery. Call 716-835-9454. That's 716-835-9454 to have the latest news from Poland and Polonia in your mailbox each week. And I think you've been to Poland a few times. I have been to Poland. I feel very fortunate. I've also been to the, the significant Polish areas in the United States of America. And Buffalo, New York is right at the top of the list. Hamtramck, Michigan. So uh, the Polish community in Chicago, Michigan, upstate New York contributes significantly to a great fabric called the United States of America. And I'm proud to be uh, with the Polish community quite a few times. And I am very, very uh, grateful for the values that they bring to our political process. And they're quite active in the political arena, which I think is a testament to what it means to be a real American. Get involved in our Constitution, get involved in our government, run for office, support candidates, be part of the debate, but do it respectfully. And also, Andy Card, you a man we had on this program many, many times, who was Secretary of U.S. Veterans Affairs, Edgar Winsky, was on this program many times. He sat in the same chair well, as Andy Card, a great uh, Polish Ed American. Ed former congressman, former secretary, is someone that I served with and have great respect for and his family. And I tell you, he left a great legacy for this country. Well, he's very popular nationally. He's one of our top Americans of Polish descent. Now, you work for three presidents of the United States, all Republican. We now have a new Republican president, a Republican House, a Republican Senate. How is the Republican Party doing in 2017? From a political point of view, the Republican Party is in phenomenal shape. We've got a great infrastructure. The candidates do well, and they get into office. I will admit the performance in office has not lived up to ex expectations. I think President Trump is frustrated that Congress hasn't been as responsive to his call to action as he would have wanted. And the Republicans in Congress haven't been too happy with some of the guidance that's come from the White House. So I do think they have to do a better job. One of my tenets in politics for everyone, whether a Republican or Democrat, is recognize words really do make a difference. So I'm always one of these people who say that we should have a test of tasting your words before you spit them out. I don't think enough politicians taste their words before they spit them mm -hmm. out. And I'm not asking for anybody to be contrived. I'm just asking them to be sensible and exercise good judgment when you use words that call people to action. And I think there have been too many tweets from the president that have been uh, caustic and haven't contributed to a, in a climate of getting things done. But I can understand the frustration. I, too, am frustrated, and I'd like to see the Republican Party step up to its responsibility to lead. After all, they've been given a great gift. Uh, the leadership in the executive branch is, is by a Republican president, Donald Trump. The leadership in the House of Representatives and the Senate, which is Article One in our Constitution, uh, both branches are controlled by the Republicans. The word control may be a little bit of an overstatement because the majorities are not as significant in the Senate as we'd like them. But the, the Senate majority leader does control the cal calendar of consideration in the Senate, and I hope there's a work, a work ethic there that demonstrates their ability to get things done. And in order to get things done in the Senate, you probably have to work across the aisle, not just inside the Republican caucus. Now, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, nephew of Senator Ted Kennedy, 
uh, said recently that Trump has great potential to be a wonderful president, one of our best presidents, because he has no obligation, zero, to any group, any politicians, any big financial interests, and he can be a great president. How do you see that, Secretary Andy Card? Well, I think President Trump has been handed a wonderful opportunity, and he is not burdened by uh, a long history of involvement where he has constituencies that have put him in a box or created a climate that would be difficult for him to be, think candidly and get things done. But he also hasn't had the experience of trying to invite people to be part of the solution, and I think he's got to learn more about that as he climbs this learning curve of being president. After all, he's the first president in the history of our country that really came to power without having been a leader in a political process and a governing responsibility. So this is new territory for him, and it's new territory for our country, and we're both on this learning curve, we the people and the President of the United States. But I think that he has great potential to help us overcome uh, the plague that has burdened Washington, D.C., where they've not responded to the pulse of America uh, that is deep down and important. And that, there are a lot of people who feel left behind by Washington, D.C., especially over the last 10 years. And I think President Trump was elected in part because of that frustration. He invited more people to participate in the political process than in the, his the entire history of the Republican Party, which was very good. Uh, that doesn't mean that he has taken the mantle of leadership and turned it into getting things done yet and he has to do that. But I tend to agree with Robert Kennedy Jr. He did uh, be handed a wonderful opportunity where he is unburdened by, he's, look, he's a wealthy, independently wealthy individual. He's not beholding to anyone except the people who elected him. And I hope that he recognized that the great burden is to represent all of the people, not just the ones that elected him, and then he'll be able to perform well. But he can do it without uh, feeling that he meet, has to meet the obligation of any special interest. He can meet America's interest, and I hope he'll do it. I'd like to mention that Andy Card is a great a diplomat. Although he is a Republican, he worked very closely with Senator Ted Kennedy. He reached across the aisle when he was chief of staff and got the education legislation passed, uh, finding common ground, which takes a very bright and gifted statesman to do something like that. For those who have just tuned in to the Rusk Report, our guest on ESPN AM 1520 is former Secretary of Transportation of the United States, Andy Card. If you're listening in Toronto or Washington, Buffalo, we'd like to hear from you. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. A little bit more information about Andy Card. He announced his resignation as Chief of Staff in 2006. Card was the acting dean of the Bush School of Government and Public Service at Texas A&M University, while Ryan Crocker fulfilled his U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan responsibilities before stepping down in 2012. A gifted statesman and diplomat who worked for President George W. Bush as chief of staff for over five years. Let's talk about conquering ISIS. You know a lot of the generals in the United States. You're familiar with General Mattis. Uh, when General Mattis was on 60 Minutes, they asked him, do you sleep well at night? He said, yes, I do, but my enemies don't. Let's talk about the enemies in ISIS. Uh, is Mattis going to get rid of these people? 
Well, the greatest challenge for the free world is actually getting rid of any terrorist cells that really don't respect people and don't respect order, and they're kind of uh, inviting anarchy uh, and disruption, and they create a real threat to democracies and threat to, organ uh, I'm going to say, society in general. The United States has taken the mantle of leading the war on terror, but we cannot be sex successful in the war on terror without having allies literally from every country in the world. And that means we also have to invite different parts of the world to take different roles. And General Mattis understands that. He is someone that knows that military victory frequently doesn't produce an overall victory. So he is, while well, he's a general, and he knows how to fight a war, and he has mm -hmm. wonderful troops that will f take the lead that the president gives and the direction that comes from the Secretary of Defense, General Mattis. Uh, but you also need the State Department, the U.S. Agency for International Development, America itself to stand up and to help to create a climate where we can successfully erode support for the terrorists and give them no place to hide and no place to get footing. Um, unfortunately, they'll probably always be there looking for a way to hurt us. But General Mattis understands that. That's why he has peripheral vision as he meets his responsibilities as Secretary of State. But he does sleep well at night because he does know our troops, our diplomacy, our USAID effort is coordinated and really should keep all of the enemy on their toes so they don't know what to expect next. And the men and women who serve in the armed forces and those who serve in our clandestine services uh, give this country a phenomenal benefit because they have the courage to step into dangerous places in the world to protect us and to protect that which no we know to be so valuable, and that's to have a government that is uh, free, allowing us to express opinions. But General Mattis also sleeps well at night because of the men and women who take the oath of office to follow the command of the commander-in-chief. And they take that oath, and, and you should know that the oath doesn't have a conditional clause to it. Nobody who raises their hand and takes that oath says, I'll do it if I voted for the president, or if I like him, or if I agree with him. No, they took the oath to follow the command of the commander-in-chief, and they keep their oath. And no president could do their job without uh, having the men and the women in service who take that oath. And every president is grateful that they do it. We as American citizens have to be grateful for that as well. So if you see someone in the service, thank them. If you know a veteran, thank them for what they did. And if you know families that had sacrifices made that the president would never invite on anybody, thank them for the sacrifices that were made. Sixteen years ago, you were with the president. You told him of the attack on U.S. soil with 9-11. How did that day, how did that moment change the world with international security threats as we see every day there's another terrorist plot arrest bombing how did it change the world that day 9-11-2001 uh, certainly changed the world. Uh, the picture of me whispering in the president's ear is an iconic picture. Uh, Brian, you know, not, know that I am not iconic. Mm -hmm. But the day defined an era, and the era is not over yet. We are in the midst of that era. Uh, we changed the way we went to the airport and got on planes. We changed the way goods are brought into the United States. We, uh, we've changed so many things because of 9-11, and we have to continue to be vigilant 
uh, about what is happening around us. The enemy is still out there. And 9-11 also empowered terrorists. They saw what al-Qaeda did, and they want to do the same thing. So the threat exists to this day. It did change things. Hopefully that it brought, that day, brought the the free world together to say we'll be party to this solution. And President Bush built a huge coalition of support uh, to help fight al-Qaeda and mm-hmm. and the war on terror is fought on so many different fronts. And right now the, the primary focus is both in Afghanistan and in Syria and in, in western Iraq. And we have to remember that this is a call to duty that every free nation in the world should be taking and help to defeat the terrorists. So yes, it changed the world. It also changed the world and it taught young men and women that it is a noble thing to answer the call of service to this country. Uh, You know that our military doesn't have anyone in it who is drafted to serve. Everybody there today uh, volunteered to serve, and we're grateful that Americans step up to volunteer service to this country, and they serve not only the United States of America, but they end up serving the cause for what is right in every country around the world, and they're the best, the very best that America has to offer, and we're grateful for the service they give, and they all do it willingly. We have a minute and a half left on the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520 to 17 stage. Future of America for our youth. Andy Card. I am very optimistic about the future of America because America's values run very deep. I will admit, I don't understand all the technology today, and and I'm confused by some of the ability to tweet. Uh, I used to like to get my news and then form an opinion. Now you form an opinion and then pretend it's news. Uh, But that frustrates me. But young people, I find, recognize that they want to make a change in the world, and that is that's the most optimistic thing you could do is believe that you're part of a solution to the world. And I invite every young person to have the courage to get involved in politics. It's the right thing to do. Do it with respect and hope and bring those great ideas to us. We've got a wonderful generation of young people who are in college. Being the president of Franklin Pierce University was a great privilege, but I get to see some remarkable young people who really do want to change the world for the better. And I'm sure there are young people in every college in America that want to be part of a solution, and that means they're going to be involved. So our Constitution is one of the greatest invitations ever written. Answer that letter of invitation and serve in government. We need you. Very good. I'm sorry we have to bring the Rusk Report to a close. Again, any thoughts or comments, please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN AM 1520, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. Special thanks to the Reverend Kathleen Card for coming with her husband to the ESPN studio, a very thoughtful, caring, talented woman. And special thanks to Kevin Carr, Director of Production for the past 15 years. Thank you for enlightening us about the horrific situation of 9-11 as Andy Card was there telling the President of the United States of this horrible, horrible event. Thank you for enlightening us so much and have a great week. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.